Welcome back to the Uniquely Better Life podcast. My name is Chase Cotton. I'm your host. I'm the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. This is episode seven featuring our friend Elliot, who we'll introduce here in just a moment. As is our custom, we always start with a recovery tip. And with the holiday season coming up, uh, there are going to be innumerable temptations to use, especially as you're with old family or old friends that may or may not be supportive of your recovery in the way that you need them to be. So the tip that I'm going to share with you this week is it's okay to leave. It's okay to leave. Now that might sound awkward and harsh, but frankly, it is better to get yourself out of a situation that is tempting you to use than to try and suffer through it, getting you closer and closer to that brink of relapse. So keep that in your back pocket. It is okay to leave. If you got to get out of there and get turkey somewhere else, you can come to our place. All right, here's some intro music and then we'll dive in. Again, everybody, welcome back. Uniquely Better Life Podcast. My friend Elliot is here. Elliot, why don't you introduce yourself, man? Yeah. Um, I mean, my name is Elliot Hughes, and I'm a person in, in recovery and from Plainfield, Indiana. We uh, help run and operate Waymaker. Uh, we're a faith-based recovery residence in Plainfield, and yeah. Awesome. We're so stoked to have you here. Thank you. Uh, Elliot is a, a longtime friend and, and now colleague of the Willow Center uh, here in central Indiana. And so it's it's really an honor to be able to, to interview him and, and get to hear his story today. So without further ado, Elliot, why don't you just go ahead and dive in. Tell us your story. Sure. So, you know, typically start with, you know, how, how it like kind of started out. And so, you know, I grew up in a like a middle class family mm-hmm. and in in Indiana, central Indiana. And my parents, uh, you know, had me and my siblings in church at a young age. And my mom is a school teacher. My dad was a carpenter. And at about eighth grade, they got divorced. Hmm. And I think that's when things started to spiral for me. I mean, up until that point, it was just pretty normal. And you don't pay attention to really those like real life kind of things as a kid. So when they divorced, it, threw me for a loop because at that point my father was out of the household. My brother was leaving for the Navy and now I'm going in to be a freshman in high school with just my mom and my sister in the house. And my mom had to work a lot. And so supervision and structure and mm. discipline and things like that kind of, um, went away. And that's such a pivotal time, you know, being a freshman in high school. It's like we're like finding your identity for the first time for a lot of us. Yeah, and and so it was like a it was like a whirlwind because I was an athlete, but I also played video games and like I I literally was interested in a ton of different things, mm. and you know sports were always like very important to me. But with that, a, a, a lot of my other friends went a different path where they didn't play any sports and they didn't do anything, and we went down a path of you know, starting to party. And so, um, freshman year of high school around age 14, 15 was the first time I, uh, 
smoked marijuana and then started drinking alcohol at mm-hmm. at parties and and it was a blast you know but i think i struggled with identity and yeah. when i used drugs and alcohol it it filled something inside of me that um allowed me to feel known by other people mm. and um it it temporarily satisfied this um you know, childlike insecurity inside of me. Um, as time went, eventually my, I got in trouble in high school a couple times and, um, there were some minor consequences for that. But big thing was my senior year. I, I suffered an injury through, through football and, Mm -hmm. and got prescribed painkillers. Um, and you know, and I, I started taking those and I liked how they made me feel. And, and so then that just progressed uh, to where, you know, the first semester of my senior year during football season, I was almost taking, you know, handfuls of painkillers, you know, every couple of days. Yeah. And um, so second semester of my senior year after football season, I quit the wrestling team and very quickly like that, that was the winter, like early winter of 2010. Uh-huh. And that's when like everybody my age started doing heroin. Yeah. And so, like, I, I went from, like, Vicodin to heroin. It wasn't, like, some, like, gradual to the big, strong painkillers. It was, like, a, a fast jump. Right. And um, for those who don't know, Vicodin is an opiate, which is the same source as heroin is. Yeah. It actually acts the exact same way in the brain, attaches to the same receptors. So that progression is actually a lot more common than listeners might think. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of people will say, you know, they hear heroin and they're like, whoa. You know, but... Any opiate, or I mean, really anything. I mean, it, it can spiral you down, even with alcohol and stuff, because that's right. that's where that stuff started for me. And um, and I don't think, you know, addiction cares who you are. It just it's pretty you know, its its goal is to kill you, and it doesn't matter how young or how old. Its goal is to kill you. Right. And so, so yeah. So heroin, you know, over the next, I mean, probably almost eight to 10 years ruled my life. Mm. Um, you know, there were multiple, multiple overdoses throughout that time period that were like near fatal. Um, you know, waking up like in the hospital, not knowing how I got there where, you know, they were, you know, had me hooked up to all these things. And my mom sitting at the end of the hospital bed of like just in tears and not knowing what to do. It's like, Oh, here we are again. Scary. Yeah. And, you know, she always stuck by me, but like what I put her through, I mean, it almost like created like a sense of like PTSD. I mean, still to this day with almost two years sober, like she'll try to like text me sometimes. Yeah. And if I am working and I can't get to it, like, I don't know, something will click in her brain and it'll be like, I'll pick Why up my phone, responding? 10 phone, 10 missed phone calls later. And, um, you know, but I've learned how to just handle that with grace. Just kind of breeze past that two-year sober thing. Congratulations, Elliot. That's yeah, yeah, it's coming up. So my sobriety day is March twenty-second, uh, twenty twenty. So like, I literally got delivered from addiction like during the like lockdowns. Wow. So which is I think's, you know, I think it's pretty cool. You know, that's I'm awesome. A, I'm a I'm a I'm a COVID recovery whatever yeah. you want to call it. <laughs> There's um, got to be a club somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. There's a few of us. I mean, um. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, heroin ruled my life for a long time, and, you know, I, I tried multiple pathways, like, 
and and my faith is like you know my faith in Jesus Christ is like my my centerpiece of yeah. my recovery and um and I'll, I'll get to that but throughout the years I didn't like I always believed but I didn't know how to like actually follow Jesus yeah, and and own. allow him to like move in power in my life and so I would like put the drugs down but I would still be like living in sin like just um like sleeping around or um, just like numerous different things, gambling, like things that just like still were like addictive, like wrong sure. behaviors that, um, controlled my life. So I, I went to treatment. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that had gone to like privatized treatment, um, 10, 15 times, sure. um, up until I was, I was 26. And, you know, for me, like seeds got planted throughout those years. Sure. But nothing lasted. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to stay sober. I, I fell on my face every time. And eventually it gets pretty discouraging because it's like, why can't I get this? You see your peers right. where why some of it. Why isn't the treatment working? Yeah. And, you know, and this is where, you know, like a lot of people would say, oh, well, you got to work the 12 steps or you need to do this or you need to do that. Um, and And I had done those things, but I just, I don't know why I didn't get it. Like, I just, I don't know why. I don't know why I wasn't willing. Like, I don't know. Some people would say, you haven't had enough pain. It's like, well, I had a lot of pain. Yeah. And some people would say, well, you haven't surrendered all the way. And I'm like, man, I feel surrendered. I don't have anything. Like, right. <laughs> so. A lot of folks who have a lot of different answers for your problem. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I tried Vivitrol. I tried Suboxone. I tried, I, I, I mean, literally everything I could. Um, and I just couldn't stay sober. Yeah. And like for, I'd get six months, I'd get nine months, I'd, I'd get a year and I'd start doing good things and nothing lasted. Yeah. So if that's you, that's tried a hundred times to get sober, I promise you there's still hope. Um, yeah, that's powerful. Elliot. Yeah. So things really started to change because I, I just, it was like a constant cycle get sober relapse really for like 10 years almost. It seemed like from 2010 to 2020, yeah. I'd get sober for, it was like life was spent in rehab, jail, and like sober. It was yeah. like, get everybody's hopes up and then come crashing down. Hmm. So, you know, the big shift happened. Uh, so I met my now wife in 2015. Okay. And, um, you know, and that's when like, I think things really started to change in my walk with, with Jesus where, yeah, I started taking it serious and I started kind of kind of learning how like what it what it was yeah um you know i think a lot of times that shame is what destroys people trying to get sober mm. is that it plays such a huge role you can't yeah that we just i just couldn't overcome the shame of the things i've done i couldn't like look people in the eye and tell them like everything that i had done you know even though i was maybe doing better at the time i still was just you just petrified of like well, what are they gonna think and like and I truly believe that because like I held on to shame for so long Mm -hmm. and didn't know how like that was going to leave me that eventually shame would push me back out the door right every time. And so, um, I met her and you know, I'd get sober, but like, and she's got a very important part of my story, but we met and, and things were going good. And then I, I relapsed and went to jail and then, it happened over like a series of a few times, but eventually sure. we were engaged to be married. And uh, she stuck with you through all that. Yeah, so she did. I mean, and 
and it was like the first time besides like my mom, but it, it was different coming from somebody, not my mom. Cause yeah. it's like kind of that feeling of like, well, she has to love me. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> She's uh, biologically responsible. Yeah. I mean, me. you know, you, you know, you raised me, so, you know, you're kind of stuck with me, but this was somebody who was choosing to love me. Hmm. Um, and not even like in a, like necessarily a like unhealthy, like codependent, like dysfunctional way. Um, like when things were good, things were healthy, you know, there was, sure. um, I mean, she's like incredible. Like she literally has never, uh, like done a drug and she hadn't had a sip of alcohol until I think she was 22. And that was just like, you know, you're 22 and, right. and she doesn't even drink now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, but she always showed me grace and mercy. And it was the first time that like I had felt that where I didn't mm -hmm. feel, um, like judged or ashamed. Despite um, the shame you felt towards yourself, she didn't buy into that. shame. Exactly. I mean, and she, yeah. And she always encouraged me and believed in me. And this is somebody who had, has their stuff together. I mean, she's, um, like super successful and super amazing. Like she walks with the Lord and, uh, she has her MBA and like, just yeah. like overall, like when people would like look and be like, what are you doing with this guy? <laughs> Sounds you like know, you I, married up. I mean, I did. I mean, I literally is <laughs> a blessing from God. Like I believe he sent her in my life because it was like, um, I needed somebody who would be patient with me. Um, I mean, the Lord is patient with us. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a the story of the prodigal son where, mm -hmm. you know, he, you know, runs, he takes the father's inheritance and goes and blows it drinking and you know who knows where i was like in debauchery and um ended up like sleeping with the pigs and eating the the same food as the pigs and right. in jewish culture like at the time like when the story was written like that like you know pigs were like the lowest of the low like they didn't like associate with that them. was rock bottom yeah i mean that culture. was rock bottom and um it was just interesting because he 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 ran home and the father didn't go chase after him, but he was still there waiting with open arms. And, um, I mean, it sounds like you identify with that product. I did. I mean, that, like your now wife, like was able to show you that kind of grace the same way God showed you that. Kind yeah. Of grace. Yeah. And it was like the first taste I got of that. Um, but then eventually, you know, like that's, that's my story. Like I was the prodigal who took all of the like things and burned it all to the ground. And when it was finally time for me, to come home like figuratively um he was still there waiting for me because i think a lot of times we live such reckless lives that people think well there's no way god you know or jesus could love me because like i've lived like this i've done and, too much yeah or what i've done is too severe yeah or, yeah and like Oh, if I walked into church, I'd burn up like things, just things like that, you know, which the typical which, religious stigma. Yeah. And I, and I completely, I can completely understand that. Cause like, you know, people can be judgmental and people can be, um, like in not in a loving way or not in a, like, right. Hey, I want to see you rise back up type of way. Uh, more of a holier than that. Like I'm looking down on you. And so, yeah. Yeah. um, which I think still may not even be the case, but again, shame will tell us that. And so, right. So anyway, fast forward to like recently. So I, we, me and my uh, wife now were engaged to be married in 2018. Mm -hmm. And because there was still like, you know, I struggled with pornography a lot. And a lot of people, a lot of people like won't like talk about that. There's shame attached to it or they don't think it's a problem. For me, I believe that, you know, it created 
a lot of, I mean, it had been a problem since I was like 14. And so I think that could be the most used substance, yes. dare I say, in the United States yes. for men and for women. Absolutely. But it's not treated the same way despite the way it acts in the brain. It is right. an addictive substance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what that causes is like eventually acting out in that. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people won't even like a lot of, I remember being in treatment years ago and like someone saying like, yeah, I struggle with porn people laughing at the guy. Right. And then I started thinking about it and I realized, and I'd never told anybody, but I think that, that hidden secret, especially trying to like walk with Jesus and like having that, um, and not like a shame thing. It's just like it, you know, you got like a fiance or a wife. It just, I struggled with it. I struggled with it. It's, it's one more secretive addictive Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's like, if I, I'm not going to show you my search history or something. And so I struggled with that. And so it was, my big things were pornography, drugs, and alcohol. And I think porn was my first addiction. I mean, before anything. That's true for a lot of young men. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I mean, you think about age 14, I look back and I'm like, I thought I was like, I'm a freshman in high school, but that's young. I mean, it's Babies, young. You put developmentally drugs in your speaking. body, you put these types of ideas and these images in your mind and it like will warp you. Yeah. Um, and so, so we were engaged to be married in 2018 and I actually was unfaithful and I, and I had, uh, and I had cheated on her and then eventually I relapsed. Mm. And so literally six weeks before our wedding in, in 2018, if the date's wrong, she'll correct me later. But, um, I went back to treatment and the wedding got called off. And then I was honest in treatment about what had happened and the engagement got called off. And at that point, like I thought life was over, right. You know, like, you know, we went our separate ways for about a year and, um, but through like a series of events and, uh, we ended up like, we felt the Lord was saying like, Hey, you guys are supposed to be back together. Hmm. And I wasn't on a winning streak. Like I was, I was in a, in a treatment program in West Virginia and she was getting ready to go overseas to spend 11 months being a missionary. Wow. And so it was like two opposite paths. Um, but it was like through a series of dreams and words from people. It may sound crazy, but it, it's not. Yeah. And so, yeah, we felt the Lord did that. And uh, we announced it. And there was probably a lot of people that were like, Hannah, you're insane. Like, why are you mm-hmm. going back to this guy that did this to you? Um, but we felt like the Lord... Uh, spoke that and so this is when like things really started shift so i was in west virginia in like 2019 yeah uh towards the end of 2019 and um and and up just before that probably uh six months nine months before that i had i had used methamphetamine for the first time Mm -hmm. and so uh methamphetamine like destroyed my life worse than heroin ever did mm. in a pe- period of 18 months. Yeah. I mean, what it did to my mind and to my spirit and my body, it just, it destroyed me. Yeah. Um, I mean, seeing manifestations of demons, uh, like the whole, like, oh, people are following me. Yeah, like, paranoia. Um, like yeah. actually seeing things like, and a lot, a lot of people say, oh, that's just cause you've been awake and you know, your brain and stuff like that. And like, here's the thing that might be the case in some cases, sure. but you talk to anybody who's used methamphetamine prolonged, like it, it takes you into a different dimension. Yeah, like I, I don't care what anybody says. I believe in spiritual things. I believe that there's demons. I believe there's angels and like that stuff was real. Yeah. And anybody that's used methamphetamine or sober from methamphetamine, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, and so 
um, that's really what had me the last part of, of using. But um, this is when I really felt the Lord um, started pursuing me. And um, I said to him, I said, if, if, this is, if, if following you, Jesus, is going to be this hard, I don't want to do it. Hmm. And I felt at that point he said, okay, well, you can go, and I'll still be here when you're ready to come back. Yeah. And so I literally spent the six months from 20, probably from October slash November of 2019 into January, February of 2020 homeless. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, he's homeless. Like, I, I did it to myself. Sleeping yeah. in a car, hotels, just being crazy in West Virginia, and then somehow back in Indiana uh, on methamphetamine. And um, and then eventually, um, like, I, I got sick. Like, I got a bacteria infection, and my mm -hmm. appendix got taken out. And so I, that finally made me stop. It was like God allowed me to get physically sick. And um, so I was at home in uh, February of 2020. Um, and then I ended up relapsing one more time and that was March 21st of 2020. And that night I, I was in a hotel room. Um, my girlfriend at the time, now wife had just been evacuated home from, uh, I think like Turkey or that uh, country of Azerbaijan or something like that because yeah. COVID had broke out around the world. And so they evacuated Send them home. home yeah. So, uh, I hadn't seen her yet and she didn't know I had relapsed like through us talking. But that night I'm in this hotel room, like out of my mind on meth and something in her, her spirit told her like something's wrong. Hmm. And so she tried calling me. I didn't answer. And then she texted me and said, Elliot, call me now. And it like, it was like a knife in my heart. Yeah. And I picked up the phone and I just started bawling and I told her and, um, and she just started speaking the word of God over me and saying, like, this isn't who you are. Like, you know, once you have Jesus, you're a new creation. The old things are gone. Behold, the new things are here. Yeah. And she started speaking the word of God over me. And it was like I started to believe, like, the truth in that. Hmm. And But it was literally like a spiritual war was going on in this hotel room because it, um, like— um, I believed that because of the life I was living that I needed to repent and give my life back to Jesus, right. um, through confessing that and asking him back into my heart and, um, for the forgiveness of my sins and for the gift of the Holy spirit. And I could not, it took me 45 minutes to get what I just said out of my mouth yeah. out because yeah. I'm on my hands and knees, bawling my eyes out in this hotel room on the phone with her. And she's just waiting for, like, she's just walking me through this, but she's, sitting on the phone in silence as I'm like, just like, you know, letting it out. Like, and I finally got those words out of my mouth and it was like peace entered the room immediately. Wow. And it was like the most powerful encounter that I had had like in my entire life. And like at that point, like I knew something had changed, but I didn't know what. Hmm. And so I sat on the end of the bed for like probably like an hour and she was like, okay, well I'll see you tomorrow because I was, she wanted me to come up to Muncie where she was quarantining because she had traveled home or whatever. Right. And yeah. And so I got up and I flushed an eight ball of meth down the toilet and, uh, was able to get up to Muncie the next day and we were reunited. And, um, and I truly think like the devil was like trying to kill me before we could be reunited. Hmm. Um, and 
so so that happened and so that that's where march 22nd is my sobriety date yeah and uh i really just started walking with the lord um you know my experience this time like i've worked the 12 steps and things in the past i have have no problem with them i think they're a great tool sure but for me uh you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening. Yeah. And this was a spiritual experience for sure. Where it talks about, uh, in the appendix of like, where it was like some people's is an educational variety where it's slow and progressive. This was in a moment. I believe I was delivered. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why this time I think it maybe it was cause like there was a truly repentant surrendered laid down, like desperate, for you, Jesus, to change my life. And, um, yeah, and something changed. And so I just, I was living at my mom's house. I didn't go into treatment this time or sober living. I was literally living in the living room of my mom's house, which is now the Waymaker house. Um, And I had these two curtains up for my my bedroom because Mm -hmm. there were too many people in the house. There was no other bedrooms. Right. And so what am I, like, that was humbling in itself of, like, I don't have any, like, privacy, but I'm like, I was 29. Yeah, 29. And like, so what are you going to say? You're 29 living at home, like not on a winning streak. So yeah. And so I just, I really just started like seeking the Lord and, um, and like I went after it like with everything I had and, um, and started reading my Bible and praying and, um, like, but in that same moment, like that same night, like I haven't watched porn since that night like i mean that he, was the end he, of all the addictive behavior yeah. literally everything well not cigarettes and nicotine and stuff that came like probably eight months later right but, he, I, but he he got me off the vape and everything yeah good like i you. haven't i haven't had any nicotine in over a year either and it's like it just blows my mind so sometimes like so what i found like what he did in that time period is he uh blessed us with a business a landscaping mm-hmm. business that i had never landscaped in my life and now we're like two years into the business almost and like he's blown our doors off with like his favor and what he's done. That's awesome. Um, you know, my wife and I got married August 22nd of 2020. So like when people think like you can't, your deliverance, like you have to wait a year to be so, you know, you're sober before like good things can start happening. Like I was two months sober and like my life like was drastically changing in ways that were miraculous. Yeah. And there's no better word for it. No. I mean, it literally still, it just baffles me that like the things that have happened in my life. And so, um, yeah, so we got married like literally five months later, mm-hmm. March to August. I think that's five months. Yeah. Um, and we got married and yeah. And, and that was amazing. That was in August. And then, during this time period, I had maybe three months sober. And my mom was like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to start a sober living house. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like three months sober. Like, I'm like, well, I'm not qualified to do that. I only have three months sober. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, anyway, so she took her house that she was living in with like my stepfather and sister and, and made that the first recovery residence in, in Hendricks County where, where we're located. That's so incredible. And they bought a different house. And so, like, we got married, and I'm, like, probably, like, October, November. I don't even have a year sober, and, like, we're preparing to open a recovery house. Yeah. And uh, building that and, and and getting everything in place for that. And so, like, um, February 1st um, of, of 2021, we opened 
uh, Waymaker, which is a 12-bed men's faith-based recovery residence that mm-hmm. focuses on building their relationship with Christ, but also with a 12-step component, um, you know, medication-assisted treatment. Like, we don't, you know, we, we have, like, our, our structure and, and we teach what we teach, but right. we're still open to, um, you know, because what I found is that people's deliverance from addiction or alcoholism, uh, substance use disorder, like, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's gradual. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe you have to put down the drugs and alcohol to get started. Yeah. Um, and w- however that's done, whether it's voluntary or, it, you know, you're forced to through jail or something. Sure. That's the first start. But, um, you know, I've seen guys that, um, you know, like like for me, it was like the drugs and, uh, and, and porn were instant. My deliverance from nicotine came after that and like mm-hmm. and so for people it's like uh these things can come gradually but i think it starts with you know just being you know surrendered and like willing to like um say like i'm sick of living the way i'm living like and there's got to be something better out there and yeah. so yeah so Waymaker opened now you're it, 10 months into it yeah now we're 10 months into it we got like a full house right now awesome. um you know i've got a baby on the way like so we, great elliot so um it's like, it's just miraculous. Like, it's just like, if you knew me, I was that guy that was like the people that cared about me. Cause like, I love recovery. I love the people in recovery. I've always had a heart for advocacy and like, um, because I just like, I know when I'm sober and like, um, now like walking with Jesus, like the joy that that gives me and like the freedom and the hope and like all of those things that it gives. And like, um, you know, I just want to see, people like walk free from shame and walk in victory. And because it's just like, it's taken so many people and just beating them down so bad. And it's just like, there is hope and and there is more. And, um, and it's just amazing. And it's just, yeah. Um, man, if there's a crowd right now, (laughs) I would, I would invite them all to just like stand up full round of applause. Number one for like, just the fact that you're recovered and, and recovering and, I mean, that's just such, it's just so hopeful, right? That is, that's, it's amazing that you're alive and it's amazing that you're able to tell your story with this kind of power and inspiration. But then number two round of applause would be for your mom and for your wife, because they sound like some really special women. Oh man. It, and it, it's hard. Cause a lot of times, like, because like I've got a lot of times the people who get, have like the wildest testimonies, yeah. you know, it's like, wow, like his life was a mess and like, oh, wow, his life is so different and amazing now. Like, that's what we look at. But like my wife and like has like walked faithfully with Jesus her whole life. Yeah. And like that's and if, if it wasn't for someone who had lived like that to come into my life and show me you know, bits and pieces of like that it, this can be done. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't have to be prodigals like, you know not everybody has to stray away and like burn their life to the ground and right. then come back. Like you can live like, and that's my hope for my kids is that, but my wife and my mom just, yeah, I mean stuck by me and so many other people did. I have so many other friends and, and people in recovery and people that have always stuck by me. But like, um, you know, those two have just, you know, definitely been rocks and, um, unconditional love is pretty powerful. Yeah. It's, it's been amazing. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, we got baby on the way, uh, due January 31st. And, um, you know, I guess I can make this, uh, announcement here now, um, that, um, my, me and my wife, we had bought a house about five months ago 
that like came in like a miraculous way. Like we got like an incredible deal on it. Like wow. it was only God. It was like literally like an acre, four bedroom, two bath, nice. 1700 square foot ranch for $130,000. Like, I that's, mean, it was that's incredible. Like, especially in today's it, market. Yeah. I mean, it was like literally like, like a gift almost. Yeah. And, um, cause we weren't looking to buy. Sure. And so, but it needed a lot of work. Mm hmm. So we, uh, over the past four or five months, have been remodeling it. And it, it's still got a little bit to be done, but we moved our stuff in uh, about three weeks ago. Nice. Congratulations. Uh, and, but then some, like, crazy things happen, like walking by faith uh, and the Lord. Because here's, the, like, the thing. The Lord, like, I believe that everything I have is Jesus's. Like, literally, I lived such a horrible, terrible life, and he still died and, and loved me. Um, and so it doesn't matter. Like I've lived in jail cells. I've lived in rehabs. Like it doesn't matter. Like I've lived, you know, outside, you name it. So like pretty flexible. Yeah. I'm pretty say. flexible guy. <laughs> and so, um, in faith, it's not us. It's literally Jesus. Cause of what he's done. It's like, we felt last week that the Lord asked us to take our house and make it our women's house. And so wow. we actually just signed a lease to a new house to rent and, uh, hopefully within the next, I don't know, maybe four or five months, maybe less, we will have the first women's recovery residence in Hendricks County Dang, operating. So, uh, um, what an honor. So, yeah. So this announcement. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, uh, hasn't, we haven't like, uh, you know, officially, uh, sure, there's work to be done still. Yeah. But. So we will be announcing, um, but yeah, we will be announcing, uh, this and I mean there's still some work that needs done in the house but we hope when we announce that you know the community and churches and 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 people who believe in in our mission and what yeah. we're doing will come alongside us and oh I believe it's gonna happen yeah and so we're like stoked obviously uh operating a women's program is gonna require a lot more uh they just it, you know in my experience and working in addictions and uh, you know, come with, uh, a certain set of circumstances that definitely needs an all hands deck approach. And so, um, our hope is to, um, you know, have like incredible women and, 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 and people alongside us to be able to run this program. Yeah. Um, it just, and just really like, that's just my hope for them is that these women can come in and like get free from shame and get, and, and get their kids back. And, um, like we're seeing with some of the men in our program. And so, yeah. We're just yeah. That's so there's so there's cute, the fun man. fun exciting announcement that we're man, gonna have a women's so house uh, soon. I mean yeah, it'll be a ten bed. I think we can house ten beds, and uh, it'll be an Avon and. That's incredible, <laughs> man. That's incredible. So yeah, <laughs> he's no laughing one, no because I'm like was, beat red yeah. and smiling ear to ear over here. <laughs> yeah, we're we're excited. It's 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 gonna be amazing, man. Congratulations yeah. to yeah. you and your mom and your wife. I mean, that's man, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> why don't we uh, why don't we wrap up with maybe just a, an encouraging word? If if someone listening is still battling the relapses and still battling, especially that that shame that you've touched on mm -hmm. at multiple points today, I mean, what what's like one thing you would say to them? Oh man. You know, for me, it was, um, it was Jesus. Like that's where I found my hope and that's where my shame, that's where the shame ended. Cause he took it for me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean that, 
that's it. I mean, he's everything to me and he changed my life and, um, you know, that there's hope out there and that there's freedom from the life you're living. And I mean, even if you're sober and you're struggling with just whatever, like, you know, the big book of AA says God doesn't make too hard of terms for those who earnestly seek him. Mm. And, um, you know, so if you're, if that's your choice of fellowship like that, that's, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's my encouraging I word. dig it, man. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story with yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a pleasure and an honor just to hear it. It's my first time hearing it all the way through. I've only gotten, gotten bits and pieces and the yeah, opportunities it's... we've had to interact, but this has been... Yeah, just a tremendous blessing. So thank you for your willingness to share. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Anytime. That's been uh, episode seven of the Uniquely Better Life podcast, hosted by the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. My name is Chase Cotton. I'm the community director here. I've been your host. And this is the end of season one. So uh, we are looking forward to uh, airing uh, season two in 2022. And we're going to be taking season two in a slightly different direction. So season two is going to focus on different topics that are sometimes ignored or avoided mm. for people in recovery. Things like, um, you know, what about romance and sex in, in recovery? What about, uh, you know, what about like acing a job interview, but I've got a record? You know, mm. like what about like some of these pieces that are super important to just everyday life and relationships that don't always get talked about either, you know, in treatment settings or even just in the living room. So we're going to do our best to... to not only share some stories, but share some, some good old-fashioned advice and encouragement in 2022. We look forward to seeing you then. Thanks a lot.